Hello, listeners. Beyond the Mask, in conjunction with NBC RNA, is pleased to announce that listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how to submit them, go to our website. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Sharon. Where's your mask at? You know, I was just, I thought it was kind of interesting that John introduced us as things that are all for odd, because when I saw him on screen, I felt the exact same way about him. So, um, you know, But he's I, doing a great job. He is doing a great job. I wish I was, you know, 10% as funny as John is. And, uh, you know, I, I really don't know what he looks like with that Sriracha mask on, but. Uh, well, you know what they said during all this COVID stuff that you're not supposed to touch your face and they said to understand how much you really did touch your face put sriracha on your fingers and ah, you would figure it out huh and you definitely don't want to pick your nose right ooh ooh hey ooh. sharon i love when we have a podcast and you're remote and I can see your bed and your bedroom and everything that's behind right. you. I think that's pretty uh, interesting. You know, one of these days we're going to have to get you one of those uh, backgrounds that says Beyond the Mask. <gasps> well, so we actually, I've got a virtual Beyond the Mask background. The only problem is, you know, if you move your head one way or another, it goes into the background. Well, I think you kind of look angelic, you know, with that light coming in behind that beautiful blonde hair, you know. I mean, well, I am angelic. Yeah. yeah well, some people might say that, Sharon. <laughs> some people might disagree with you. <laughs> Depends on the day, I guess. So, uh, Jeremy, we are going to pick your brain today. Oh, Lord. You know, COVID had huge implications, and I know you jumped on and just heard the last keynote that was on, and it was profound. It was touching. It was so many things. You know, New York really does get it right whenever the proverbial, you know, what hits the fan. They do really get it right. Absolutely. And for our listeners that are listening in, whenever this is aired, we are taping this podcast live at the first virtual North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists meeting in conjunction with the South Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists meeting. And we were so pumped about this meeting because it was supposed to be in Asheville, North Carolina, which is God's country. 
and to be able to do it with our South Carolina colleagues, the first kind, you know, we had never, we haven't ever done that. And we were so pumped about it with Jill, president of South Carolina and Linda Stone, president of North Carolina, come up with this idea. We were so pumped. I'm still bummed about it, but yeah, we'll do it next year. <clears throat> no place like Asheville this time of year either. Oh my God. It's stunning yeah. up there. But that's okay. We're looking in your bedroom and you can look in the studio with me and, and everything is wonderful, right? Yeah, well, I feel like we're back in COVID. This is how we take during COVID. Anyway. <laughs> well, we've never left COVID, you know, and that's that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. I mean, and I I really appreciated the the ladies beforehand talking about you know the human toll of COVID. I mean, obviously, uh, all of us have been affected in some way by COVID. Whether you've got a family member or a friend, or you're working in that environment, or it changed your work, which we're going to talk about today. Um, and there's a huge economic toll of COVID. And we're going to talk a lot about that today and how our CRNA listeners can hopefully benefit from this experience as we move forward. You know, I want to touch on something else real quick, because, you know, I like money and numbers, Sharon. Um, but but well, John- I like money, too. I just don't <laughs> like numbers. <laughs> uh, that, that's, that's the problem there. But, um, but, you know, John said, you know, what was it? Kylie Jenner was the highest paid like $500 million or something last right. year, he said. For breathing. For I breathing. believe he said it exactly right. Well, For I thought breathing. that was a, a great segue, though, into CRNAs because, you know, we've looked at this number before. And Sharon, what do you think over a life expectancy of earning for CRNAs? What do you think the average CRNA is going to make over their life expectancy? Oh, my God. We've had this discussion before. I'm just testing you your me memory. On the spot. It's in the millions. Yeah. It, it is a little less than $5 million. Okay. And as we talk about that today and why this is so important, you know, people think that, you know, financial stuff, why are we having financial stuff at a CRNA meeting? And, and it's because it, it makes a difference. It's the reason that most people get out of bed in the morning to send their kids to college, to pay for their house and do the things they do. And I know CRNAs also do it. There's Peanut. Hey, Peanut. I know. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think she was in here. <laughs> to, to, you know, make sure that they're taking care of their families and themselves. But, you know, if you look at that and, and right now what the average CRNA has in retirement and what the younger CRNAs are going to need in retirement, mm. um, we're going to hit on those numbers. I thought that was a good uh, segue from John there. So Absolutely. Sharon, well, I'll let you interview about, me now. Uh, do what? I'll let you interview me now. I am. This is the fun part. (laughs) So let's talk about the economy and let's talk about the effects of COVID-19 on the economy. Well, you know, Sharon, at the time in in February, you know, we were sitting at the lowest unemployment rate in our history, three and a half percent unemployment rate in February. In in March, um, we went from three and a half percent up a little bit because, you know, COVID came in in March to 4.4. The big jump came in April. In April of, of this year, we went from a 3.5% to almost 15% unemployment rate. I mean, that's massive. It's never happened in the history of the United States to move in a two-month mm-hmm. period from a 3.5%, the best ever, to almost a 15% unemployment rate. So this was a massive massive problem for the economy. I mean, they shut everything down. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't agree with the way things went, but I wasn't making the decisions and I didn't have to. I think now if we look back hindsight, I don't think they would do it that way again. Right. Or at least I hope not. Um, But now, you know, sitting where we are now in September, um, we've actually recovered almost half of the 22 million jobs 
that we lost um, in April, May, and June. So we're making our way back. Um, But it's been so fast and furious, people just don't know how to react. They don't understand what they should be doing right now. Um, You've got a lot of people out there that are still hurting, and you've got a lot of people who are back at work and everything is fine. Um, And then there's people stuck in the middle somewhere. So it's been a, a fast and furious downturn. I mean, one of the quickest recessions in a recession and at a recession, almost in a quarter and a half. Um, and by all intents and purposes, you know, we, we dipped into that recession in the second quarter. We actually came out um, in the third quarter. I mean, it was just, it's been amazing um, how quickly this has happened. And some other statistics, you know, more than 20% of all small businesses are still closed. Wow, 20%. 20% of all small businesses are still closed. Um, we had a restaurant here in Winston where their studio is that has been here since the 40s, and they just didn't reopen. They couldn't afford to do that. So there's been a lot of a sadness around that as well. And mm-hmm. speaking of restaurants, here's another stat for you. 12% of all sit-down chain restaurants are now out of business. Out of business. So um, Well, interesting people are time. just not going out to eat the way they used to. No, or they're scared. You know, I talked to a friend of mine in Charlotte yesterday, very bright uh, man, and he's a CRNA, and called to wish him a happy birthday. And I said, hey, you going out for your birthday? He said, man, I hadn't been out to restaurants since March. He said, we're picking up uh, Ruth's Chris and bringing it to the house. Um, You know, they're trying to help local businesses, but they're not going out, and there's still a lot of people doing that. So. I agree. Do you go out that much, Jeremy? We don't go out that much, but we do. We do go out. I mean, you know. Some. We, well, yeah. you've got small children. You don't go out that much anyway. Yeah. We can get away from them. We we try to go somewhere. <laughs> Just as long as <laughs> Without you don't come crazy. up with another small child. All right. Enough of that. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> well, let's talk about spending, more consumer spending. Uh, you know, there's a lot involved with the economy, and it's kind of circular. you got to have money to spend it and all yeah. of that. Well, talk you know, to us. when you talk about consumer spending, that's us buying goods and services mm-hmm. out there. And our economy is really set up to do that. You know, over 70% of our GDP, and I know we'll get to GDP in a few minutes, but um, is actually consumer spending. So when the consumer dries up and stops spending, it really seizes up our economic engine. Um, and in fact, 70% back up. Is that what you said? Yeah, it's, it's a little over 70%. Our economy is based on spending. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why the government wants to give us stimulus money. So we'll go out and spend it. Sure. I mean, you okay. know, that's the idea behind it. So, and most people spend it, they spend it all, uh, right. <laughs> you know, or a lot of it. So, but consumer spending actually fell 17% from February to April. Now, if you just kind of do those numbers and say 70% of our economy is based on consumer spending, um, and you kind of back that into that number and extrapolate that, that means, you know, we've got about 12% of our economy that just stopped. Right. You know, and that's, I really thought it would be more than that, to be honest, but I guess you've still got to buy things. You've got to, yeah. you've got to get groceries, Toilet yeah. paper. You can for find God's it, sake. right? Jeez, <laughs> who would ever think that? You know, I mean. Oh my God! And now Pierce has gone crazy, and I've got huge things of toilet paper <laughs> out in the garage. So, uh, people, uh, if we have any problems, just come by and see us. We've got plenty out in our garage right now. Well, no one Pierce, he'll use it. Oh yeah, yeah, in yeah, about a week. So. But you but know, that's another conversation. <laughs> it is. That's a Christmas conversation. There's a. Mm. There's a. Mm, <laughs> we won't talk about that either. Um, but business investment, 
tumbled as well, you know, dropping 27%. Um, equipment purchases dropped by almost 40%. Um, and investment in equipment has now contracted for the last five quarters. So as we look at our economy, we went from the one of the best economies we've ever had to extremely bad situation in a matter of less than three months. All right, let me ask you a question. How did that compare to 2008 when everything kind of went bust? And yeah. some of the CRNAs on here will remember that. I remember that. Yeah, I mean, you know, 2008 was not an event-driven recession. There were there were flags to 2008 along the way. There were a lot right. of things that no were kidding. wrong. And 2008 was actually a, a bank-led recession. Bank-led right. recessions are usually really, really bad. Um, you know, that's what happened in the Great Depression. It started with the banking sector. So it wasn't fast and furious like this. It was really a a situation that had built over time and there were there were markers out there saying, "Oh, this doesn't look right. Oh, this mm-hmm. doesn't look right. Oh, this doesn't look right." In this scenario, I mean, it happened in the blink of an eye. Right. So completely different scenarios. And if you take a look at the markets, you know, in 2008, you know, obviously the market's tanked. Um, but if you held on for about 12 to 18 months, you got all your money back. Well, this year, obviously, we tanked really, really quickly, and the markets, up until the last few weeks here in September, had recouped all of that loss for the whole year. Right. Yeah, so, but you didn't do that in 08, though. You do that it took, a, it, it took us a lot longer yeah. in 08. And, and that's seemed. why I say this was more of an event-driven recession. I mean, COVID okay. is the reason for this. It was one event. Um, and it, it pulled us down from the, the, this is the longest economic expansion we've ever had from 2009 to 2020. And we were zooming along, um, and then COVID hit and it, it knocked us off our perch. Well, did we fall so far because we soared so high? You know, not necessarily. And you know, I've, I've, ha- I've heard people say that before. I mean, it, I don't think it would have mattered how high we were. I think COVID, if we shut down the entire economy, like what happened, it would have happened if we weren't as high. I mean, you know, okay. it, that really yeah, didn't true. didn't matter a whole lot. Yeah, it might have affected consumer spending a little bit more or something because people were feeling really good and spending more money. I mean, so that's one of those psychological questions that, you know, you really don't know the answer to. Well, um, I understand that. And I'll tell you, it's just like whenever I am giving anesthesia, if I have a surgeon who says, oh, it'll only take me five minutes to do the procedure. Anesthesia is like jumping out of an airplane. Doesn't matter if you jump out at 500 feet or 5,000 feet, you better have a parachute. Hmm, I like that. Don't you though? Oh, that's good. That's kind of like my job. You know, you better have a parachute and a plan. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. For when it hits the fan. How'd you like that? I just made a rhyme and everything. I can oh maybe rap God, one day, Oh, you're so smart. Let's talk <laughs> about tax income. Everybody oh, likes to yeah. talk about taxes, right? Well, you, you know, think about just in terms of what happened. I mean, even in the CRNA community, CRNAs weren't working for a while. You know, my wife, Sarah, wasn't working from March to June. So anytime people aren't working, and you remember our, our unemployment rate jumped up to almost 15%, we have less tax revenues. Um, so obviously we know that's a problem. Sales taxes were off almost 10%. State and local taxes, which are probably some of the ones that are needed more than others, you know, were off 
in the first quarter and second quarter, three three to four percent per quarter. So, you know, that's a huge problem in, in larger areas. You know, we see we're listening to the ladies from talk about New York City and New York State and, uh, you know, Illinois and California. All these states already were running deficits and it's only exacerbated that problem. And that, that kind of leads us to also, and, and I know everybody's thinking, gosh, she's talking a lot about economics and what's going on here, but I'm trying to really paint a picture of how that's going to affect CRNAs and things you guys need to be thinking about as we move forward. So stick with us. It'll get a little bit better as my wife, you know, when I start talking about this stuff, her eyes start to droop a little bit. Sharon, I notice it with you every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But you know, another problem that we've got is, is the United States debt. So when we came into January of 2020, they they were projecting out that our debt would be about a trillion dollars this year, or you know about 4.6 percent of our GDP. There's that term again, Sharon, GDP. Right. Um, but then on March the 18th, guess what happened? We passed the CARES Act, and the CARES Act was a 2.2 trillion dollar stimulus bill. Okay, not only did we have that stimulus bill, we also had the Federal Reserve, who's now cut rates, to Mm -hmm. stimulate the economy. The Fed started actually buying stocks and buying bonds on the open market. They've done things in this downturn. Yeah, absolutely. Their mandate allows them to do that now. So they've done some things differently here to kind of prop up the markets, prop up the economy. And the one reason for the markets, and people say, well, gosh, the markets shouldn't have anything to do. Why is the government intervening there? Well, you think about almost 72%, I believe is the statistic, of Americans have some money in the stock market now. So it's a big determinant of where we go moving forward. So mm-hmm. $2.2 trillion from the CARES Act. And guess what we're projecting out our budget deficit to be now? I'm sure it's staggering. Well, $3.3 trillion for this year. Wow. Or instead of 45 4.6% of GDP, we've jumped up to 16% of GDP. So that's wow. more than... Well, that kind of mirrors... Healthcare. So between healthcare and our debt, ooh, what's yeah. what's healthcare? Eighteen percent. Healthcare is almost nineteen point something right now, I think. Um, oh, wow! But this is the first time on a percentage basis that our debt has jumped up this high since nineteen forty-five. And obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we know what was World going on in forty-five was World War Two. But you know, I guess some people would look at COVID as a war here as well. So. Um, mm-hmm. it's going to be you interesting saw the last to see. lecture before us. Yes. Yeah. It's a war. Yeah. It's definitely a war. I mean, we all know it and we're all fighting it and, uh, we will beat it. We will come out on top, but it, there is going to be a cost to this associated with it. Um, and not only for our government, it's also going to be for us as taxpayers. It's going to be for us as consumers. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get into how it's going to affect individuals. So, well, you keep talking about GDP. So talk about what GDP means. Yeah, GDP, I mean, in in simplistic terms, is gross domestic product. And I mean, really what it means is it's the the monetary value, the the dollar value of all goods and services produced in in any given year. You know, they can break it down by quarterly or monthly or whatever, but let's just call it annually. If you add up all the goods and services produced in a year – that's what GDP is. Um, and you know, during the first quarter, GDP contracted about 5%. Any guess on what it contracted the second quarter, Sharon? No, tell us. Almost 
5% drop in GDP in the second wow. quarter. That put wow. us at a year over year. So if you looked at second quarter versus second quarter of 2019, down almost 9.5%. Meaning, again, for a numbers guy, if you break it down, our economy was over 10% smaller than it was in December of 2019. I mean, again, these are massive, massive things that are happening. And you're talking about the economy and the economic engine of the world leader, the number one country in the world. But it didn't just happen here. I mean, it's happened all over mm-hmm. the world. Um, so we've got a big hole to dig out of. And how we're going to do that, we've seen some of it, but there's a lot still to be determined on that. Okay. Well, let's talk about healthcare per se. I mean, I never thought in my lifetime that. I wouldn't be working. You know, you yeah. always say uh, you'll always have a job. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's so true, Sharon. And, you know, if you look at that, almost 40% of Americans delayed getting health care or procedures or things they needed done in the last four weeks. The mm-hmm. last four weeks leading up to this, that's not in the middle of, of COVID. That's in the last four weeks. Um, you know, obviously one of the winners from this, because remember, you know, we're talking about a, a lot of things that seems like doom and gloom, but there were a lot of winners here. I mean, telemedicine has just skyrocketed. What a great thing now that, you know, you can Zoom or, or talk to your doctor through the computer. I got a little sniffle, you know, I need a pill, uh, you know, something. Um, you, you don't have to go in anymore. So that was, that was a great thing. You can buy your toilet paper off of Amazon now. You don't have to go to the store. You know, so there's a lot of those type of things that were winners. Um, now, if, if you talk about health care, you also talk about depression because that's a huge problem. We've actually done a lot of shows on you mm-hmm. know, depression and mental health over the last six months or so. So in, in January of this year, you had about 8.5% of Americans who felt some depression symptoms. Um, and during mid-April, that climbed to almost 30%. Wow. So not only are people not working, they're also feeling depressed. And those two are not a good combination. And they probably are intertwined to some extent as well. Sure. Well, you know, my neighbor here works for the SBI in North Carolina. And even though all bars were shut down, alcohol sales went up 300% during COVID. Oh, yeah. That's why they didn't shut the uh, liquor stores down. ABC, because all that revenue goes to the state government. Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, ABC stores here in North Carolina, it's, it's run by the government. I was in Florida, right. and they have a really nice liquor stores down there. I mean, I was I was also salivating. My wife said, you got a problem? I was like, I don't know. Maybe I do. I was trying to buy like 10 different bottles. Maybe I do, Sharon. Maybe. So what was wrong? What What's different in the liquor stores down there? Oh, gosh. They have such a, a, a breadth of product. You know, that oh we don't God. have here. Oh, yeah. I found a wonderful tequila from Mexico and didn't make my clothes fall off like the ones here in North right, Carolina right. does. The tequila. So hey, listen, was... Courtney Brown just put in our chat that Whole Foods delivers wine to your front doorstep. <laughs> God, I'm glad I didn't know about that. <laughs> wow. Courtney, we would know that Courtney would know that too, right? <laughs> oh, and Lucy New says, so does Total Wine. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> wow. I think this uh, this podcast has taken a different turn now. We kind of got to veer back on track. Sure, I sure. mean, <laughs> I mean. Oh, um, well. So we digress. We digress. But, you know, also, if we look at the cost of COVID to the healthcare system, you know, I, I've seen estimates anywhere from, you know, $34 billion up to $250 billion. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a, a trend 
tremendous drag on the system as well. And Sharon, I, you know, I've always heard you talk about, you know, insurance and being tied to employers. Right. Um, healthcare insurance. I yeah. mean, it's, it's, that's a whole system that is a problem. Well, it is. And, you know, it's an, it's really, I mean, it wasn't designed to be the way it is today. It's a, it's really an antiquated patchwork of a bunch of different things that have happened over the years. And that's kind of but you where know we where are. it started from. Where did it start, Sharon? World War Two, because what happened is the women went into the workforce and then the men who didn't get killed came back home. Well, women didn't want to leave the workforce, and so now you have workers. But then also during World War II, they had a wage freeze. And so to try and attract people, they just started giving them, giving them benefits. And so they gave them insurance to attract them because they couldn't go up on the wages and get people to come to work for them. Well, look I know at that you. was a protracted. That, that Yale education is paying off. I love it. Yeah, except Yale education, they went up a couple thousand dollars this semester, and I don't even get to go up there. <laughs> mm, gotta love that. Yeah. Well, you true know, that. COVID. I mean, if you look at the healthcare system here, based on employers, you know, of the three hundred plus million people in our country, one hundred and sixty million plus have their insurance through their employer. Um, And that's really hard to turn that ship. I mean, anytime we try to turn it or change it, we see these huge fights in Washington because guess what? There's a lot of money being lobbied there. And, you know, I know you know that and that's a a topic for another time. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and you figure our healthcare system in the United States, if you just added up the money that we spend on it, which is about three and a half trillion dollars, we would be the fourth largest country in the world based on GDP spending at three and a half trillion dollars and not necessarily getting the best outcomes either. So there's a lot of fluff and waste in the system. And again, we can, we can talk about that, you know, another time. Whole other podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's another statistic I think is interesting, especially during this time, 60% of Americans believe healthcare is a right. They believe it's a right, a fundamental right. And that's a huge shift even in the last 10 years or so. Right. Um, so we, we kind of see the writing on the wall. There are going to be changes, but when when that's going to happen, who knows? So. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, CRNA jobs and how COVID impacted that. I mean, I was out of work for a little while. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I alluded to earlier, um, uh, my wife, Sarah, was, was out for several months. And, um, you know, we have a lot of CRNAs on our tax side who are 1099 and were disproportionately affected by the cancellation of elective surgeries and weren't working for, um, you know, uh, three months, four months, and some still aren't fully back to it. I mean, we had furloughs, you had shift reductions, we had payroll cuts. I mean, we have thousands of CRNAs that we work with all across the country. And, you know, we saw some that were continuing on and a lot of facilities tried to keep their core CRNAs. But we also saw some that that didn't. So it was interesting, um, you know, depending upon the areas you were in. I mean, we had CRNAs that were going up and helping in New York, but not necessarily were they given anesthesia. Um, So the job market changed a whole lot. And there was uh, there was actually a survey of CRNAs. I think the ANA Foundation did this survey, and it said 94% of CRNAs indicated their facility began rescheduling their elective non uh, urgent procedures based on the CDC guidelines. So this affected almost all CRNAs. 
Yes, it sure did. All right, now let's fast forward. Uh, what if you're close to retirement? I mean, we're here to talk a little bit about the effects of COVID on your retirement and uh, on soon-to-be retirees or just if you're just planning ahead. Yeah. Well, let me let me digress back just for a moment because I wanted to touch a couple other things there. But, you know, on the, the 1099 side for CRNAs, uh, you know, I think it was an, an interesting, it's been an interesting environment that we've seen even in our practice and with our CRNA clients and even a lot of my CRNA friends around the country um, who were 1099. And this has been something that you know, a lot of CRNAs aren't business minded. Um, you know, you guys are nurses by background, extremely smart. But, you know, I think when it comes to business stuff, a lot of CRNAs don't like it and don't want to be involved in it. But a lot of CRNAs see the opportunity on the 1099 side to make a lot of money. And you can. I mean, I've got CRNAs that you know, on average, they're probably making $280,000 a year doing 1099 freelancing. Up to, you know, I've got several CRNAs that are employing others that are making in the millions um, per year. Um, but they're risk takers. They're taking a risk there. And what we saw was these CRNAs who were 1099 could not handle being out of work for two or three months, Sharon. They didn't have enough right. saved up in emergency reserves. Um, you know, I had several CRNAs who said, I don't have enough money to pay my bills. Um, and it just floors me to hear that from a group that, you know, statistically is in the top 10% of earners in this country. So, you know, I've preached about this for years, always be prepared for the unexpected. And this was, Sharon, had you ever not had a job as a CRNA? No, 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 never crossed my mind. But I will tell you in some people's defense, I don't know how it would have been. Well, I know it would have been different for me at the beginning of my career versus where I'm at at this point. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I get that. And you've got to take that into account. But I think the, the idea and the theme here is just being prepared and, and living within your means. And, you know, what, what we're finding in the 1099 market is a lot of those CRNAs, kind of like 2008, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, 1099 CRNAs, the market dried up, they went back and worked W-2 facilities. Well, the market's been strong now for, uh, you know, several years, and we're seeing a lot more people interested in 1099, but now we're reverting back. A lot of those 1099 CRNAs have gone back and taken W-2 positions and we're starting to see lots of opportunities on the 1099 side. Um, you know, I've got several CRNAs now that are calling me saying, hey, do you have anybody? I've got recruiters calling. Do you have anybody? But it's kind of like the only the stronger are going to survive. Fewer 1099 CRNAs equal opportunity to earn more for the ones that are left. So there is an opportunity in this downturn also for CRNAs. But the theme behind what we're talking about now is get your financial house in order. You never know what's going to happen in the future. And if you're living beyond your means or living up to your means, I guarantee you that something is going to happen to throw you in a tailspin. I've been doing this for 20 plus years Mm -hmm. and I've seen it time and time and time again. When I have a CRNA who's in her 50s and freelanced and made almost $400,000 last year and she's uh, calling me in March saying I can't pay my bills. I need to take $100,000 to pay my bills over the next few months out of my retirement plan. That's a problem. Right. Yeah. 
So anyway, I digress. You know, I can I can talk about this stuff I all day know, long. So. I know I've heard this story <laughs> so many times, but um, you know, there's some validity to it. I and I hear you, and I think a lot of people have out there, and you know, I bet if this would happen again, God forbid that it would, that more CRNAs will be prepared. But yeah, I, I will tell so. you, the more money you make, the more money you spend. Absolutely. And the less you budget. Uh, exactly. Yep. Exactly. And that's well, problem. you know, whenever I ran for the state house, I was trying to think, how am I going to make a living? Because uh, if you if if I would have won my race, that salary for a North Carolina legislator is thirteen thousand nine hundred dollars. Now, considering the race itself cost over. $350,000 by the time the anesthesiologist dumped in a quarter of a million and the money <laughs> that Kimberly and I raised and Deb Flaherty and my team, you know, think about it. That's over 300000 that we spent to try and make $13,900 a year. That's nuts. Well, you know, there's obviously in, in that situation, there's something else at stake. But Sharon, when you first said that, you said I run for the state house. I thought you said you were running when I ran for the steak house. I thought you were getting hungry <laughs> because it was lunchtime. You had a little Freudian slip there. But uh, okay, I'm with you now. Uh, <laughs> it's a good thing you're cute. <laughs> Um, what can I say? All right. So we've talked about some of the things that could happen to soon to retire CRNAs, I guess. Anything else you want to add with that? Well, you know, I think the effects of CRNAs who are close to retirement, you know, and that seemed to be a big concern um, with not only our client base, but CRNAs we heard from around the country. I mean, you know, those salary or job cuts freaked them out a little bit. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of hospitals and organizations around the country that have also reduced or taken away the match to the retirement plan. Right. I've um, heard of a lot of that. A lot of that here local in North Carolina. In fact, you know, facilities that are that are really near to where um, we're at right now. So, you know, other things that, you know, have happened and are always a concern for retirees and, and folks near retirement age. Um, is, you know, we got lower interest rates. Well, lower interest rates means lower rates on savings and lower amounts of income coming in. That's a double-edged sword. I know a lot of the docs that I work with are now refining their offices, their businesses. Yeah. And and if you haven't refied, if if you've gotten mortgages out there that you haven't refinanced, I mean, in this environment, where you can get a 30-year for sub-3% or 25 on a 15, I mean, to me, that just makes perfect sense for most people. And, you know, people that have commercial property are doing the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, you know, obviously that's a benefit. But on the flip side of that, people who are in retirement and or saving money in banks and CDs and so forth, they take a hit from that as well. So... Um, and then obviously other things that uh, retirees are worried about, you know, since the majority of retirees have a lot, if not most of their money tied up in the stock market and or markets in general, bond stocks and so forth. You know, we've also got to be concerned about how much risk we're taking. And here's where your eyes are going to glaze over a little bit again, Sharon. Um, mm. And, I'll, you know, if you lay down on the bed over there and go to sleep, I'll know to shut up, okay? Well, I uh, might. You better make <laughs> it sound really good and juicy. Uh, okay. All right. So there's something called sequence of returns risk. Oh, Lord, I know, I know. It's kind of like you guys talking that uh, anesthesia lingo. And, you know, mm-hmm. then when Sarah and her friends get together, you know, I'll just say intubate and extubate. And if I've had a, 
couple of drinks in me, I might say something else that's that probably shouldn't mention right now. But um, you know, there's there's risk involved in the markets and retirement. Um, and sequence of return risk is this. So let's say you've got money um, that you're pulling out every month, and then the market goes down. Well, think right. about it. Now you're taking money out of something that's gone down. So when it does come back up, you don't have as much money for it to rise. You see where I'm going? Right, right. Okay. I got it. So that's yeah. sequence of returns risk. So the longer it's down and the more money you take out during that time period, it affects your portfolio dramatically in a, in a pretty bad way. So the other thing that we've seen is that you know CRNAs and, and other folks uh, around the country who were close to retirement didn't want to be exposed to COVID. So we've seen actually a wave of earlier than planned yeah. retirements. Um, Some of the docs that I work with that were close, instead of coming back when COVID was over with, just said, forget it, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of that. And this this sequence of returns risk is really bad after you first retire and you've got a lot of time left in uh, left in the markets and a lot of life left to spend that money. Um, so give me an example, Sharon. Let's say you retired in 2007. Okay. Um, and that was really only 13 years ago, right? Um, you had a million dollars. You were 65 in 2007. And you decided, out of that million dollars, I want a 4% withdrawal rate, which is 40 grand a year. My Social Security okay. is going to be 30 something. I can live off of that. I'm good. Peanut chips in a couple things from his, uh, her, her YouTube channel. Um, That's you it. know, and everything's good, right? Um, mm-hmm. So you're taking out 40 grand, but you invested your money in the S&P 500. So, I mean, the market's been positive throughout that time period, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've had the biggest, you just said, the yeah. biggest up. But we've had a lot of this, ups and downs, right? right? Now, remember, mm-hmm. you're taking money out all along the way. Only 4%. Okay. okay? There's something called the 4% rule. But today, you're 77. You look great for 77, I do, way, don't I? You do. <laughs> But now you, Miss CRNA, you only have $250,000 left in your account. Wow. And by projecting that out, then by age 85, taking those withdrawals, remember you're taking out 40 grand a year, taking those withdrawals, you're going to be broke by age 85. Eating dog food. Eating dog food. So again, if you're near retirement and you're planning for retirement, these are things that you've got to look at. Also, health care is, is another huge concern for retirees. And we have a lot of CRNAs that want to retire early. There's some things you can do for health care. Um, you know, with the ACA and Obamacare, a lot of our CRNA clients, you've heard me talk about this before as well, you know, getting their income down to where they can get a subsidy, uh, their taxable income to where they can get a subsidy for Obamacare. And instead of paying $900,000 a month, they're paying $100,000, a month. Right. I remember that in one of our other podcasts. Yeah. So those are things you, you need. And that's where a financial advisor helps you. I mean, I, did, I wouldn't have had any idea about doing, doing that. Yeah. I mean, those are the type of things that you just don't think about until mm-hmm. you need it. Um, right. And you, you need somebody who's, who's done that before and so forth. And our favorite, Social Security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, think about that, too. Social Security was already in trouble, but now we've got higher unemployment, less money going into the Social Security system. Guess what? More problems. More, more problems. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then we've got lower inflation. So, and tax revenues reduced. Um, you know, so all these things sort of mull into one big 
ball of problem for people that are getting ready to retire. So how can CRNAs go from surviving to thriving? You've given us a lot of doom and gloom, and (laughs) I need to hear something good. Well, you know, that, that really wasn't what I wanted to paint for our audience. I think there is a lot of good out there. I think really the the what I would like to paint for our CRNA clients is number one, you guys make good money, but you don't make Warren Buffett money. Uh, back to John's introduction, you're never going to make $500 million a year. And the average CRNA is going to make $5 million. Sharon, what do you think our average CRNA retires with? You know, And this is just based on our practice here, what we see. What do you think it is? I mean, and you can do a range. Right. Uh, it's over a million. Yep. It's between 1.2 and $2 million is about mm-hmm. the average. Um, well, I mean, but think about it. You just said that a CRNA would make about five million in their lifetime and to save 1.2 to two. I mean, that sounds pretty good. Well, it it can be good, but everybody's goals and objectives are different. I mean, if you want, uh, you know, a $200,000, $150,000 your lifestyle, that's not going to get you there, I promise. But, you know, that's with growth and markets and everything else. So, um, you know, that's probably still a little low comparison wise. And our new younger CRNAs, that are just starting out, we're seeing that they're going to need anywhere from three to six million dollars to be able to retire uh-huh. in the lifestyle that they're going to want to have. Very similarly right. to our CRNAs right. today, and most of our CRNAs, you know, want somewhere around a hundred thousand dollars a year after tax in retirement. That's what we see. Um, some a little more, some a little less, but that's about that's about the average. So you know that leads into a lot of things. And and one is that 50% of CRNAs are going to retire within the next 10 years. And I know we've heard that, but that's about yes. where it is. Well, that also means that there's going to be 50% new CRNAs coming in to replace that other 50% that's going out. So what I would tell them is, number one, make sure you're living below your means. Make sure okay. that you are saving 15 to 20% of what you make every year. Pay yourself first. This isn't rocket science. It's just stuff that we get busy. We don't think about it. You know, and the more we hear it, the better off we are. Um, get your personal financial house in order. You know, make sure you're paying off your debt and tracking your spending. And that's a big no-no for people. You know, like you said earlier, the more money you make, the less you budget, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so tracking your spending and understanding that. I know Sarah and I go through that exercise, and she hates it. Um, you know, but I sure. actually have her do the the spreadsheet every month. So that she can be involved in it. Because most of the time she's just like, Jeremy, just take care of it. Jeremy, take care of it. And it's like, you know, something happens to me. You're going to have to do this. You need to understand this and know how to do it. Well, actually, considering how much younger than she is than you, there is that distinct possibility. So I am so glad <laughs> you're thinking about her. Oh, uh, You know, I think about everybody, Sharon. You know, it's just my <laughs> nature. So. Um, so paying off that debt, getting those things done. And, and you really need to, especially... When we talk about retirement, you need, as you're in your 50s, you need to get what I call savvy about retirement planning. And one of the reasons I think that's very important is almost 60% of retirees retire sooner than they thought they would. Somebody gets sick. They get hurt. You know, I've seen CRNAs who have major back problems or they have something that is debilitating and they can't go to work anymore. Or, you know, the spouse gets sick or, you know, just something You just get sick of working. Yeah, it could be getting sick of working, you know. Um, But so just have a plan and be prepared. You know, the other thing is test that plan. Uh, If you tell me, Sharon, that, you know, you're making 
$400,000 a year and I look at your, your finances and I see that you've got $1,200 saved in your savings account and you've been saving for retirement, but you don't really have any other monies outside of that. And you come in and say, oh, I can live off $60,000 a year in retirement. You know what? That's a big red flag for me. Right. Because, because you have nothing else. Because your lifestyle is based on that $400,000. Sure. And you try to sure. go from four hundred dollars to $60,000 a year, which we do have a lot of people tell us there's wide swings. And the first thing I say is, okay, let's test that for a few months. Oh, so you have them do it. Yeah. Okay. And then well, it, it kind of gets quiet like you did. And that's then, not Whoa, a wait a minute. Idea. You mean uh, I'm used to living on 20 some thousand dollars a month and now I got to live on five? Right. Okay. Well, we've got some questions here, Jeremy. So I'm going to throw these out to you real quickly as we wrap this up. This is a killer question. How can I make my portfolio pandemic and apocalyptic? I don't know if you can do that. And when should you sell at what loss? And when should you jump back in after you've been scared away? <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. And, and you know what? If I could time the market to jump out exactly at the high and jump back in at the low, I definitely wouldn't be here on a Saturday talking to you. <laughs> I'd be floating on and my boat somewhere. co-hosting a podcast it, with me, right? Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody can time this market. I think you can make educated decisions about it. But trying to get in when it's, uh, you know, extremely low and get out when it's high, you can't do that. I mean, I looked at this market earlier this year and said there's opportunities in this market. I mean, this was an event-driven sure. recession. And once COVID um, clears out, um, you know, what should, should all the airlines be where they are as things return to normal? Probably not. I mean, that to me could have been an opportunity, not that I'm giving anybody advice to do that or, or would have, but there are opportunities. So I think, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, Hey, I've had a little side account. I've been buying things up as they went down, you know, that are coming back and they've, they've made some good money doing that. But mm-hmm. I think overall, depending upon your age, your goals, your objectives, you've got to look at your situation and figure out how much risk do I want to take? What rate of return? And what is this money for? You've got real money. Real money is retirement and paying my kids education and so forth. And you got play money. And the play money for me is if I lost every bit of it, I wouldn't like It'd it, be all right. but I'd be okay. So, you know that happened to me, right? <laughs> I, I do, Sharon. <laughs> I know. We're not going there. So if you're not contributing now to retirement due to COVID and being furloughed, what are the worst consequences? Well, I, I would say you got to make that up, right? Yeah, I think you got to make it up. And again, it, it depends on your plan. If you've got a plan and you know we're running that and we're looking at that annually and saying, okay, well, a year of not con- contributing or a year of no match really doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Okay. That's good. Uh, but if you're really counting on that and you're close in your plan and, and the numbers just don't look good, then definitely you've got to make that up. I mean, it could be the difference between retiring, you know, at 65 and retiring at 67. So the key is to have that plan and understand what you need. And then we can project out and say, you're on track or you're not on track or look at different scenarios. Okay, one other question. What do we think about the continued rise in starting CRNA salaries? Uh, well, there's another part to this, but I, I, don't, I think it's beyond this conversation. And do we think that that's attracting the wrong type of people to our profession? I'm not too sure that that's an answerable question, but I'm okay with rising <laughs> starting CRNA salaries. I mean, I look back to 
my starting salary as a brand new CRNA, I think was $70,000. I mean, these kids today wouldn't even roll over and put their feet on the floor. (laughs) Well, they're making that as a nurse, you know, or more right now. Yeah, so So that, you know. But so that's a good thing that the salaries keep going up. I think it's commensurate with our responsibility. So you know, I do too, and I think it's a supply demand. And you know, we obviously know that CRNAs are the lowest cost, best prepared provider out there. You know, not that anesthesiologists aren't prepared, but they're obviously not the lowest cost. So you know, you guys are equivalent to them. But I think one thing to note here, and Randy Moore and I, and I know Randy will be on tomorrow, and. We've talked about this before, and I've asked him, I said, you know, are you concerned about the rise in CRNA salaries? And it is good that it's happening this way. We know there's a supply-demand problem, but we also know, Sharon, you've been a CRNA for a pretty good while, and there's supply and demand that ebbs and flows. Right. Um, and you guys are in demand right now, considerable mm-hmm. demand. But exactly. at some point, that equilibrium point is going to be met and CRNA salaries are going to probably slow down and or go down. It could be something such as government steps in and says, you know what, we've got to put cost controls on. We could get this single payer system. And, you know, first thing you're going to look at is doc salaries and and kind of work their way down. And and I've always said this, if you guys win the battle against anesthesiologists, in the ANA, and you guys get what you want. At some point, you're going to be at the top of the food chain, and there's going to be downward pressure on your salaries as well. So, mm-hmm. again, I think it's a great thing for CRNAs, but I think you've also it goes back to being prepared. You know, can if if I did walk in and they cut my salary by ten percent. How would my finances be impacted by that? So, again, it's not going to continue to go up the way it has forever. Right. Yeah. Okay. One last question, then we're going to have to wrap it up. And this is also, I think, a little bit outside of this. Baxter Rand, I cannot believe you sent this question in. <laughs> <laughs> in hindsight, what could be a government role to alleviate our public health crisis and unprecedented loss of life? Oh, I'm not, uh, I don't, how do you wrap that up into <laughs> economics there, Jeremy? Well, Except don't close the economy down. Yeah, I, I mean, don't I, know. I think, and you know, the loss wear, of life. Uh, wear a mask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the loss of life, I mean, you know, obviously that is uh, horrific. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think any of us want to see that. I think the government could have handled a lot of things better, but it's the government. When have you ever seen the government do anything well, Sharon. Well, no, I get that. And, you know, I know that there's criticism on all sides. Yeah. But I don't care who would have been sitting in any of these seats in the governor's seat, in the presidential seat. This was something that happened in 1918, the last time. So none of us were alive at that time. Anybody would have gotten criticism, I think. And there wasn't a playbook to this. Yeah, things could have been done a whole lot differently, I guess. But hindsight's always 2020. That's the reason why we do the historical series for the podcast, you know. Well, you know, and I also think in this hyper- uh, political environment that we find ourselves in, 
there's always going to be folks on both sides of the coin sure. here. And there's going to be, you know, we got a little bitty election coming up here in a few weeks, just a really small one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have I have my <laughs> ballot here already. All right. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, so I, I don't really know the answer to that. I just know that, you know, government is supposed to do the best they can with the information that they've got. Right. Um, sometimes I find that, that money and other objectives get in the way of that. But, you know, that's that's kind of where we'll leave that. So. Well, I appreciate you taking time with <laughs> us today, uh, Jeremy Stanley. So. All right, Sharon. Well, thank you. Thank you to NCANA and SCANA for having us. And Absolutely. Mr. John Homer, who looks a lot better than he did uh, a little while ago. And we want to thank our I listeners. Clean, I cleaned up nicely here. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. Good, There's still a little tingling. just a, Yeah, a but your maybe, skin but, uh, is just amazing right took now. Took his mask off. <laughs> It's kind of like local anesthetic, you know I mean? You just put it all over oh. and you don't feel anything for a while. I think. Yeah. That's, there you that's go. how this works. Right? John, I call that alcohol, local anesthetic. Oh, yeah. yeah. There I mean, you, you know. go. Well, oh. Uh, have the Sip and Learn event coming right Oh, up. nice. Yeah. So, Good segue. Uh, so what do our <laughs> listeners need to remember to do, Jeremy? Well, Sharon, they need the best way for our show to grow is to tell others. We're in the top 50 medical podcasts in the United States, and our goal is to be in the top 10. So tell others, listen to our podcast, and, and give us a review, but only if it's Positive. there's enough negativity out there, folks. Until next time. <laughs> it's a wrap. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment, or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible, and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Like what you're hearing? 
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.